You're, you ever re- remember a time of receiving such good news about something that you immediately had to share it, either with someone you love or you wanted to shout or maybe even do a little dance? Think about that time. Maybe you got into the college or the, the grad school of your choice or you applied for and received the job that you wanted You graduated, you earned a degree or a certification of some kind, you passed the CPA exam or your nursing boards, that person you loved said yes, and then maybe you found out you were expecting your first child, or people our age, you find out you're going to be grandparents. Receiving an unexpected financial gift or a promotion at work or an awesome birthday present, maybe it was retiring. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you completed some other item on your bucket list. Could be a hundred other scenarios. I very vividly remember meeting with Dr. Wozniak after Tina's uterine cancer surgery in February of 2007. And she met with us in the waiting room there, recovery room, and she informed us that she discovered during the surgery that the cancer had not spread, it was totally contained, had not broken through the uterine wall, and that we could expect Tina would make a complete recovery without the need for either chemotherapy or radiation, which she did. And I tell you, that was really good news. And we immediately called our four kids to let them know. No doubt you can dial up in your mind your museum of memories and occasion not dissimilar. Well, this morning we're concluding the series of messages that our church family has been engaged in over the last month on earth as it is in heaven. And over these weeks, we've been encouraged with shareable good news, haven't we? The good news of God's kingdom. And today we're going to wrap this up uh, by uh, sharing a few implications of this good news. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are traditionally called the Gospels. The word gospel comes from a a Greek word, the language in which the New Testament was originally written. Um, It's a a Greek word that's used about 70 times in in the New Testament, and it means good news or glad tidings. It's not a religious term as it was used in the original context, but was simply an everyday, ordinary word that referred to messages of victory or or good news or political or personal news that was being shared by the emperor in Rome that caused great joy throughout the empire. And the thing to remember when when we hear the word good news or see it in the in the Bible is that uh, when we see the word gospel, it just sim- sim- simply means good news. They're, they're dynamically interchangeable. Now, the first four books, the gospels, open with a supernatural angelic announcement. This isn't the season of the year we normally celebrate this text, uh, but you all know the story of the shepherds on the hillside who were visited by uh, the angelic choir, the angel of the Lord, while they were completing their third shift duties that night. 
when the, the landscape was lit up with brilliant light. The Bible calls that the glory or the goodness of God. And the angel announced, don't be afraid, because that's the first thing angels always say when they show up. Don't be afraid. Simmer down. Listen up. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. There's the word gospel in that announcement. I bring you the gospel, the good news. The angels use the word gospel in their announcement. And we could conclude, you know, God intends for all people who receive the gospel, the good news, to be the most joyful people on the planet. And we know, sadly, this isn't always the case. Many believers are far from joyful, and some for very good reasons. Some are hurt or angry or anxious or confused. Some are just mean-spirited and judgmental and bigoted. Some are tired and they're worn out and trying hard to be joyful, <laughs> thinking, you know, if they just tried harder and prayed a little more and sinned a little less, if we fasted more or read our Bible more or attended church or small group more faithfully, then we too would be more joyful. But friends, truthfully, if, if those things are true, the problem is not your effort or your desire. It's your gospel. <laughs> That's the problem. It's it's maybe contaminated, a little like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. It's not going to get the job done. Because the gospel of the kingdom is good news. It's never bad news. It's always good news. And let me tell you why that's important. Because if the gospel that we've embraced leaves us fearful or angry, uh, if we're afraid of a judgmental God, if it leaves us insecure or uncertain, kind of forever wondering, where do we stand with the God of the universe? Always kind of questioning if we measure up or if we've done enough. Got to jump through the hoops of religious performance, whatever they might be and whatever tradition you're in. Then that's not the gospel of good news. The gospel is always good news for God's people. Now, Jesus, whose birth those angels were proclaiming with the, with the good news that will bring joy to all people, we know that Jesus was born and lived in relative obscurity for about 30 years when he uh, started a public ministry around the age of 30. And he launched this earthly ministry with a rather startling announcement. It's recorded for us in Mark's Gospel, and it's our key text for today. If you have it on your Bible app in your, in your uh, phone or your tablet, you may want to highlight this verse if it's not already done so. And it will be on the screen, too, I think. Yeah, okay. Whew. Thank you, April, for making that slide. I think you <laughs> did that. Now, now, this is Mark. Of the four gospel writers, Mark is the photographer. He's the guy at your family function, the guy or gal. It's always walking around snapping photos. And Mark is the photographer of the New Testament. He's taking pictures everywhere, and then he collects those little snapshots and puts them in a 16-chapter letter, okay? But, but they're, they're often just snapshots, and they, they kind of exist there without a lot of context or explanation. And here's one of the most dramatic. It's in the very first chapter. We read this. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. There's that word again, gospel. And he's quoting Jesus. 
The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, if we were thinking along the lines of never having read this verse before, discovering it for the first time, we we might wonder a lot of things, right? It conjures up a lot of questions. What is God's good news? What is the kingdom of God? What does Jesus mean when he refers to the time promised by God has arrived? What does Jesus mean when he says the kingdom of God is near? What does Jesus mean when he equates God's good news with the arrival of the kingdom, that it is near or at hand? These are great questions, and perhaps some context will help us get a little better understanding of what Jesus was intending to communicate. Now, the words gospel, good news, and the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven are very very familiar terms to those of us who are modern-day Bible readers. But their full message often escapes us. Let me illustrate. Today, if in a conversation or a magazine article or a TV show, you were to hear the phrase 9-11, nearly everyone in this room, with some exception, uh, could recall exactly where you were and what you were doing uh, when the Twin Towers were sabotaged by this act of terrorism. You can remember, can't you? And the phrase 9-11 would have a lot of other historical and emotional and cultural and spiritual implications and memories associated with it, wouldn't it? But fast forward into the future. Let's say another 50 or 100 years from now, and imagine that you live that long, and we're also now in another conversation or reading a magazine article or watching a a show on television, and it's quite likely that you would have no real clue other than the Wikipedia uh, article that kind of gives the basic facts surrounding the event, you'd have no real clue what the expression 9-11 meant. It would escape you. Well, in a very similar way, when Jesus used the expression kingdom of God, his audience, his immediate audience, was very familiar with the historical and cultural and spiritual implications of the term, even though 2,000 years later now, we have actually very little idea of those things that surrounded that term. So let's explain it just a little bit more then. The entire Old Testament is a story that points to the arrival of Jesus. All the way from God's veiled prophecy of his coming in the third chapter of the book of Genesis after the fall of mankind into sin, when God promised that the head of the serpent would one day be destroyed or crushed. It was a veiled prophecy of the coming of Jesus. Then the promise of the blessing of the whole world through Abraham's seed in Genesis 12, in the story of the exodus from God's people from slavery in Egypt and the conquest of the promised land, in a prophetic picture 
during the reigns of Kings David and Solomon, each 40-year reigns that were filled with blessing and favor. We might call it the golden era of Israel's history. And then in the writings of the prophets, both the major and minor prophets, where they were proclaiming that there was coming a day when God would once again visit the earth and establish his rule and his reign or his kingdom. The prophets called this day the day of the Lord or the new age or the age to come. It referred to the day when God the king would personally intervene in the history of the world at the end of the age and set everything right again. It was going to be marked by what the Hebrew calls shalom, total well-being in every aspect of life, forgiveness, peace, healing, justice, freedom from all oppression and enemy, blessing in our work and in our family, in our crops, in our relationships, and even on the earth in the plant and animal kingdoms. We would all experience a release from the curse that came with the fall of man into sin. And so the Old Testament closed with great anticipation of the arrival of the good news of God's kingdom, that that day would finally come. You might, in a similar way, compare it to yours or your children's or your grandchildren's expectation of Christmas morning. Can't hardly wait for it to get here. Well, then Jesus shows up and announces that the time promised by God in the Garden of Eden to Abraham, in the exile from Egypt, in the rules of Kings David and Solomon, and in the proclamations of all the prophets, that time is here at last. No one expected it to be. They were waiting for it at the end of the age. But here in the middle of this present evil age, Jesus shows up and says, it's here. The good news or the gospel is that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's here. It's arrived. Jesus is proclaiming that this is good news. God's kingdom is present. Now, typically in many evangelical churches, of which the vineyard is one, over the last several centuries, when we hear the word the gospel or good news, we've thought very narrowly in terms of believing in Jesus' death and resurrection to forgive our sins, to deliver us from the penalty of hell, and assure us that we'll go to heaven when we die. Now, while these foundations are certainly true, I'm suggesting, based on Jesus' own announcement that we saw today, that the good news or gospel is actually much broader. Long before Jesus actually physically died and rose again, he is declaring the good news or the gospel is that the kingdom is at hand. And he hadn't yet died or resurrected to make that proclamation. So the gospel or the good news is all about the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying that the long way of the day has come. It's now here. The day of the Lord is here. The good news of the gospel that was proclaimed by the angels was that Jesus is coming. We call that the advent, his first coming, his first arrival. It signaled the arrival of God's kingdom on the earth. 
right now and that things could finally be different. That's good news. That's worth shouting. That's worth even doing a little dance about. It wasn't a military or political or geographic kingdom. Rather, it was the rule and reign of God expressed in the lives of his people. That's what we've been learning over the last few weeks. Mankind could now experience the shalom of God's kingdom right here on the earth. All of its wholeness and its well-being and completeness. That God is at work in the earth once again, setting everything to right. And we could safely conclude that the ministry of Jesus was the ministry of the kingdom. You know, you might think... Why did Jesus come? And there are lots of possible answers to give us a model to follow, to save the lost, to um, proclaim good news to the, to the marginalized. Lots of reasons we could say Jesus came. But I think it's most inclusive to say that his ministry was the ministry of the kingdom. His words proclaimed that the kingdom was at hand. His works uh, demonstrated that the kingdom had come. His prayers encouraged his disciples to desire the coming of the kingdom. It's, it's where the series title uh, we've had here has come from in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' parables taught the mysteries of the kingdom. Jesus would often say, the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure a pearl of great price, a little bit of leaven that works its way through a loaf, a small seed that grows into a large tree, and many other illustrations. And Jesus said that his second coming will follow the preaching of the kingdom to all people on the earth, Matthew 24. The good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then... The end will come. So if we take a closer look at the life and ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the kingdom, what do we see? Well, most of you are familiar enough, having read the Gospels, the life and ministry of Jesus, that you already know this intuitively, that in his words, in his works, in his way of life, God, God the Father's inexhaustible love for all people was demonstrated by Jesus, wasn't it? He welcomed all people back into relationship with the living God. Over and over and over, Jesus extended mercy and hope and forgiveness to undeserving people, sinful people, broken people, undeserving people, people who had resumes and rap sheets that were too long to keep them out of heaven. In fact, his love even shocked the religious community, didn't it? They were the ones that were always getting upset. At, at how he was so inclusive to sick people, poor people, lame people, marginalized, prostitutes, tax collectors, demonized, insane, hungry, hopeless, down-and-out people. Jesus was always making room for them at his table. He announced that sin's power was broken, that we're now free from bondage and rebellion and guilt and shame and fear and anxiety and hopelessness and despair. He taught people how to live real, meaningful lives, like putting our priorities in right order. He reinterpreted the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees and how they'd missed the boat and what God intended 
He healed the sick. We know this, don't we? The blind, the, the deaf, the lepers, the cripples, the epileptic, those with blood conditions and fevers, those who were paralyzed, those who had incurable and long-term illnesses, congenital handicapped, and every other kind of sickness and disease imaginable. He delivered the demonized. He healed the mentally ill. He restored the marginalized. People who in that culture had kind of been pushed out to the margins, women, Children, lepers, cripples, prostitutes, tax collectors, and what the Gospels call other notorious sinners. <laughs> That's where you and I fit, right, right, right in that category. <laughs> he provided food for the hungry. We marvel that he even overcame the elements of the natural world. He just happened to put a coin in the mouth of a fish so Peter could go pay taxes. Fancy that. And we know the three stories where he even overcame death itself by raising the dead. Perhaps we could summarize this two-minute sweep through the four Gospels by saying it this way. Jesus was good news. Jesus was good news. Now, certainly not to everyone everywhere. He infuriated the religious establishment. He confused and scared his family until after the resurrection, when they finally got it. He was considered crazy or deluded. Several uh, uh, thought he was in league with the devil. And he was just a non-issue to other people in culture, just like he is today. Not interested. No big deal. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Your neighbors, your co-workers, family, friends, it's not interested. You know, that's your thing. That's your stuff. And so... He, he, he wasn't good news to everybody, but to many, he was the good news that they'd been looking for. And why was that? Because the gospel, the good news, touched every pocket of need in their life, whatever their need was, spiritual, relational, familial, relationship, emotional, vocational, financial, educational, governmental. Whatever was lost in creation, Jesus was about restoring, healing, freedom, peace, provision in every pocket of brokenness. And so Jesus is good news. Not religion, not the church, not any one of the 10,000 denominations in the earth today, not any of the great parachurch ministries or mission groups that are currently serving around the world. We thank God for all of these things. But they're not the good news. They carry the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is good news. Now, what implications does the good news of God's kingdom have for us today? And here's, I'd like to just kind of conclude by sharing a few tips on uh, the implications of this extremely good news. First, we, we can know that God loves us and desires that we experience freedom in our lives and the lives of those we love and care for. The freedom that comes with the arrival of his kingdom. Freedom in every pocket of life. Everybody in our three neighborhoods where we live, our actual physical geographic neighborhood, where we work, the vocational sphere of influence we have, and that includes those of you who work but are not paid and those who are retired. 
And thirdly, the, the sphere of people with whom we do life. Uh, we, can, we can trust that God loves us and them and wants us to experience an increasing measure of freedom and wholeness, the shalom of his kingdom. And so we can pray with conviction the prayer that we've been praying in this series for the last weeks. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. And we can pray that prayer every day. So, friends, just parenthetically, if you struggle with prayer life, and, you know, who among us hasn't, being consistent in prayer, knowing what to pray when you pray, or when you start to pray, you're pretty soon you're skiing on the slopes of Colorado, or, you know, pretty your mind is gone wandering somewhere else. Here's, here's a secret. Start by just reciting the Lord's Prayer, okay? That is a powerful Prayer. Now, I don't believe that Jesus' intention was given so that we merely repeat it, but it's got power if we do. And so start right there. If, if you have trouble knowing where to start, what to do, what to say, how to say, just start every day by asking the Holy Spirit to breathe on you as you pray the Lord's Prayer. And that middle section is perhaps the most powerful. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven. See, that helps us indicate that God's kingdom arrived when Jesus came. But it's not all the way here yet, is it? It's already here, but not all the way here. And that's why we pray with conviction that his kingdom would keep arriving. It's not going to be consummated in this present evil age until the day when he returns to finally set everything to right. But we can expect that God's desire is for us and the people we love and care for to experience an increasing measure of his wholeness and freedom as we await the day of his return at the end of the age. And so we can pray that prayer with deep and sincere conviction. And we can expect that at any moment in every day, there could be a breakthrough of God's kingdom into our lives or those we love. We can be expecting his power, his mercy, his love, and his truth to break into this present evil age. And friends, there's just a very thin veil between God's kingdom realm and the realm in which we live and work and play. So be expecting. Remain hopeful for a kingdom breakthrough at any moment. Actually expecting every day to experience his love, his mercy, and his truth, and his power to come into our lives. This is good news. This is good news we're sharing. Secondly, refuse to grow bitter or cynical. I've shared with you, my conviction is that as I age, and a lot of my friends, my circle of influence and and care also are aging, because that's the way it works, right? <laughs> you ever go somewhere and you see somebody that, man, they look really old. Then you realize, oh, that's right. <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> I, I'm getting old too. Uh, but as we age, I find one of the most challenging issues for many who have walked in the faith for a long time to be the, the temptation to bend to the devil's lies that God is not faithful, as we just sang. 
we have a longer period of time to see that not all of our prayers are answered, that not everything unfolds the way that we hope for. And there's an increasing measure of temptation to think that God is not good or that he no longer loves or cares for us. That is to say, because we, we don't see what we hope or expect. And so the, the issue is, are we willing to love and trust and follow a God who does not meet our expectations or answers prayer on our time? And that's a constant tension in the kingdom. Because once we pray, we can pray with confidence that it's God's will, but we don't know when it will arrive. And we have to hold God's sovereignty on one hand and his revealed will of desire for the kingdom to come in the other and refuse to grow bitter or cynical when the things that we hope for and that we even know are his will, the kingdom coming, when they don't happen, when we expect them. Don't allow these things to separate us from the love of God. So, know that God loves us and desires freedom, that we can expect a breakthrough of God's kingdom at any time. Secondly, refuse to grow bitter. Thirdly, be thankful. And that's why we often spend time recounting the work of the Lord in history and in our lives together. Recount the times in your life and the lives of the people you love that God has been faithful to provide food and clothes and health of mind and body and shelter and protection and provision. Be quick to recount those things, and then you realize, oh, yeah, it does change our perspective, doesn't it? He has been faithful. And I like to think that God's past faithfulness is a pledge to his future faithfulness because God doesn't change. Fourthly, Spend time with others. This is what we learned last week from, from Dale when he shared with what kingdom and community was, was all about, right? It's why we continually invite people to experience life in small groups, uh, not just large groups, but in more intimate, closely known relationships. Spend time with people that you love, that share your similar values, and encourage one another with the stories uh, that, uh, that you have in your own life of God moving. We need support and encouragement and the challenge of those who are like-minded and walking the same road as we are. So spend time with others. Fifthly, share this good news in practical ways with no strings attached. What do I mean by that? Well, the gospel is not just a canned sales pitch that you give to people as if Jesus were replacement windows or vinyl siding. The four spiritual laws are, I mean, I'm all for four spiritual laws, but, but the gospel isn't a canned sales pitch. You live the gospel with your life, and you can make deposits in the lives of others through acts of kindness and service with no strings attached. Sharing God's love and his mercy with no strings attached. And as God leads you on how to do that, people get attracted to the goodness of God that you've expressed in kindness without a hook. So uh, share God's good news in practical ways. Did you know that being kind is a spiritual gift? Romans 12 tells us that. And if that's your gift, Paul says, use it, because kindness is attractive. And so share God's love in simple, practical ways. 
and the, the list is long. Water your neighbor's flowers while they're on vacation. Watch their, uh, watch their home. Uh, serve the PTSA and the school uh, boards and the teachers and the principals of the classrooms where your kids go to school. Uh, rake someone's lar- yard uh, when the leaves fall this fall. Shovel someone's snow. Visit someone in the hospital. Take a friend to lunch. Uh, give, give someone that you see regularly, the clerk at hy V or the receptionist at your doctor or chiropractor or your dentist's office. Give them a gift card for no reason. Just say, because God loves you. I mean, these are the kinds of things that cause people to go, whoa. It's what people are looking for. They they want to see and taste the genuine love of God with no strings attached. And then hopefully over time, what will happen is you'll build a bridge of relationship, of trust and understanding, that at some point they'll ask you, and then you can tell them. And then sixthly, continue to trust Jesus, that he's good, even if the circumstances of our life at the moment may scream otherwise that he is present, even though he might feel far away, that he is wise and can dispense his love and his mercy at just the right time in just the right ways, and that he's coming again at the end of the age to set everything to right. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be carriers of the good news of the gospel, that we would experience it personally, that your love and your freedom and your forgiveness and your healing would permeate our lives and the lives of those we love and care for, and that you would enable us as your vessels through the person of the indwelling Holy Spirit to be uh, people who carry the good news wherever we go, where we work, where we live, where we shop, where we eat out, where we, where we do life. Thank you, God, for the power of the gospel of the kingdom. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking so smallly of how big and expansive your gospel is, and how your desire is, is to eventually set everything right that was twisted and broken and marred in the fall. Help us, God, to pray with conviction and confidence and even expectation. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here on the earth as it is in heaven. May your gospel, may your good news draw close to each one of us today in all the ways you know we need. It's our earnest prayer today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.